places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Today's episode is Questions of a Nurse. I don't know about you, but I think nearly every medical appointment that I have ever been to begins with a nurse calling my name and bringing me back to the exam room. Nurses in offices, clinics, hospitals, and outreach programs ask all kinds of questions all day long, questions that help them to take care of their patients like you and me, and sometimes even save their lives. These questions can help the medical team figure out what's going on, build a foundation of trust, and start to begin that process of care. Today's conversation explores the types of questions that nurses ask, are asked, and also explores some of the intersections of gender, gender identity, and race, specifically in the field of obstetrics. Our guest for today is Laura Stevens. Laura uses pronouns like she and her. Laura is a registered nurse, BSN. She currently works as a full-time clinical research nurse on two NIH-funded studies at the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Nursing. In addition to that, she works part-time as a labor and delivery nurse at a small community hospital. Laura is also working on her doctoral studies at VCU, pursuing a PhD in nursing. She is the mother to three kids, two dogs, two cats, two rabbits, and seven chickens. She loves to travel, mountain bike, and nap in between night shifts. Welcome to All Places Together, Laura. I'm so thankful that you are here with us today to share your stories about nursing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So to kick off the conversation, can you share with us what kind of nursing that you do and what your experience is? I know that like there's all different kinds of nursing and everyone kind of has a different expertise. So what's yours? Sure. So I um, I actually work full-time as a clinical research nurse, but I work part-time as a labor and delivery nurse. And prior to that, so I've been a labor and delivery nurse for about a year and a half. And then prior to that, I was actually a doula and childbirth educator for six years. So you have lots of experience helping folks give birth, and now you're learning even more about it. Yeah, I think um, being a doula was a great start. Um but I wanted to affect change from the clinical side. And so it's been really exciting this last year or so being able to, to actually do that. Yeah, that's amazing. So before we get too far into the conversation about folks who are giving birth and uh, what your expertise is more in depth, I was wondering if you could share some about inclusive language around uh, people who are giving birth. I, yeah, I know we've talked about this as we were preparing, and so I know you've got some comments for us kind of in particular, because of course you know, and we at All Places Together know that it's not just women who give birth, that it's more expansive than that. Um, so can you give us kind of an insight into some of the official inclusive language around that? Yeah, that'd be great. So like you mentioned, Colleen, the... Um 
labor delivery obstetrics, um, kind of that realm of healthcare has always historically been very gendered in the language that's used. For example, the hospital where I work, we still call it the mother baby unit. When uh, even the the kitchen in our on our unit is called the mom's kitchen. And oh. every time I walk past it, every time I walk past it, I'm like, first of all, the moms are laboring. They're not going to even be in here. But second of all, let's just call it, you know, family kitchen or caregiver kitchen. But yeah. um, basically some great language we c- can think about when talking about this population is, pre- is pregnant people or birthing person. NIH has a, or National Institute of Health has a style book for researchers and, and practitioners. Um, and they suggest the term pregnant people. Um, if pregnant women is not suitable for whoever you're interacting with, I will say research is slow to catch up. So a lot of the studies you'll see kind of internationally still use gendered language. Um, and even I do work part-time as a research or full-time as a research nurse. So sometimes the work we do still uses that language because it's hard to combine all the data when you're translating languages. So we still have a lot of a lot of um, growth in that department, but certainly when you're talking about or interacting with a birthing population, you can say pregnant people. Um, you can use um, when talking about infant feeding, we can say instead of breastfeeding, some uh, members of the trans community prefer the term chest feeding. And then instead of mothering, we can say parenting or caregiving. All of that makes so much sense. And I am glad to hear that there is progress being made. And of course, I also understand like the global shift is a bigger one than maybe what happens, you know, in a particular country or even in a particular hospital. But I just love like you reminding us of that individual when you're in that individual relationship, when you're with that person. Um, finding out what what names and pronouns and, yeah, I guess like names for actions that they are comfortable with makes the most sense. Absolutely. And it never hurts to ask. I know like in labor, we typically, we don't have um, a ton of patients. So it's not, it's not hard to establish that rapport and just ask, you know, what, what terms, how do you identify my pronouns on my name badge? I just have um, she, her. And I just think that also makes it easier for people to um, to start that conversation with me. Yeah, that they know, oh, okay, she knows about pronouns and that people may have different pronouns and that she could be a trustworthy person. It's like a first step in that direction. Yeah, at least that's what my, my hope is. Yeah. Well, and I know that nurses ask all kinds of questions. And so as we're in kind of this series about questions, I wonder what kind of training did you get in asking questions as part of your nursing school? I actually really love this particular question because um, I think that there's there's been a shift in nursing. So I went to nursing school in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. Oh, wow. So I would, yeah. I think there's just been a shift and I think people who went to nursing school, maybe even as not as far back as 10 years ago had a different experience. But what what we were taught, it was, there's this much bigger emphasis on um, viewing like 
nursing is inherently holistic, right? So we view the whole person. And sometimes that gets lost. But I, I think at least where I went to school, they did a great job of reminding us that health is not just the absence of disease, but it is um, well-being. And when we think about well-being, we have to think about um, socioeconomics, environment, social determinants of health. And so how do we how do we know that? We can't just look at somebody and know that. Making assumptions is the absolute worst choice to make. So Preach. how do we how do we know? Yeah, we ask questions, right? So we, I, I feel like um, I was very well prepared. Um, I remember in my um, psychiatric nursing class, we had a great introduction to motivational interviewing, which for those who don't know, it kind of um, teaches you to talk to your patients in a way that gives them um, like control, like they they're very empowered in how they choose to respond. Um, and then I took a class just a few weeks ago on, of all things, fetal heart monitoring. And the accrediting body is called AWAN. Um, it's the something, Association for Obstetric Nursing. Anyway, they're talking about looking at fetal heart strips. And even before we even got to that, there were a few modules on have you asked your patient like um, do they have safe housing do they have um, adequate food and so just addressing all of those things before you even get into what is their baby's heart rate so I feel like nursing as a profession is has is actually really good about this yeah, I think so, too. Um, our listeners will know that we've been through some medical stuff with my husband in the past month. So we have really interacted with nurses uh, in a much higher degree than we probably would have if you and I had done this interview just, you know, two or three months ago. And so I feel like obviously, um, well, maybe not obviously, Nick was not giving birth, um, so it was not an obstetrics floor. Um, <laughs> But what the, but the types of questions and the relationships we formed with the nurses, um, I was definitely paying a little bit more attention because I knew this interview was coming up. So I can definitely see some of that in play. So when you then think about the questions that you're asking or going to ask someone, and I'm sure at a certain point, it just kind of becomes like your pattern. But is there like a balance of get to know you questions versus like medical information that you find is useful? I mean, you kind of shared some of this um, as it relates to the fetal heart monitor. So like, I wonder like what that balance is for you, like and how you've felt that out and gotten used to that. Yeah, it was funny. Um thinking about this question, it, I realized that I, anytime I admit a patient, um, <laughs> I always ask them, um, did you have a far drive? And mm. I realized why, why do I ask that is because um, it allows us to connect on some level because if they say, oh no, I, I only live five minutes from here. Guess what? Me too. So we can talk about that. You know, maybe we're neighbors, maybe our kids go to the same school or if they say, no, I live two hours away. You know, we, we can talk about that and like, you know, oh wow, you live on a, like a farm and I used to raise cows and you know, just 
it's just a lot you can learn about somebody just with a simple question like that. And it um, tends to just help us connect in the immediate. And then um, go, just going from there, you know, it makes taking just a minute or two in the beginning of the patient nurse relationship to just find out little pieces of personal information about people, I think just makes the whole process of admitting them to the hospital or coming on a shift and becoming their nurse um, easier because you just feel a little bit more connected to each other. So yeah, there's a balance. We have a job to do. We're really busy. But um, I have to give props to the hospital where I work actually, because they showed us, it was one of our mandatory trainings last month was a video on how to connect with a patient in under two minutes, recognizing that we're slammed a lot of nurses have a lot of patience, but it, it really only takes a minute or two to connect with somebody. And the way the video showed us how to do that was quite literally just asking them questions about themselves. Yeah, I love that because you're right. Like you don't have 20 minutes to like sit there and, you know, have a longer conversation. But those those simpler questions of like building that rapport, like those initial moments of trust are so important then in that relationship as you're providing care for them to be able to maybe ask some of their questions and and to trust in the care that you're providing. Yeah, absolutely. So as we kind of move, thinking about who is asking the question from you as the nurse, now if we kind of think about the patient as the one asking the question, I wonder what patient questions reveal about their situations. Like, are you able to kind of sense, is there like a question behind the question or do certain types of questions like reveal things about them? Because I know like you listening to the questions and then answering them is also a really important part of providing care. Absolutely. I think... um my specialty in particular, it's a very um, emotional time. So there's a lot of heightened anxiety. I think a lot of times questions are are just um, an actualization of that anxiety. Sometimes um, the question behind the question, I think, and again, this is very labor specific, is just, are we going to be okay? Are we Mm -hmm. safe? do I have this, right? Like, especially for people becoming parents for the first time, you know, they're scared. Do I have this? Do you have my back? And sometimes that can look like somebody's angry or annoyed or, you know, behaving in a way that, asking a question in a way that seems not friendly, but really they're just scared. And so I think remembering there is a question behind that question is actually so important. I'm glad you highlighted that because that was a good reminder for me as a nurse. Yeah. And you're so right about the way anxiety and fear can just come out in so many different ways and different people in different situations. And so I am sure that giving birth is a scary and anxious experience. And so often um, for folks who are giving birth and perhaps other situations as well, there are family members or friends or spouses in the room um, with the person who is giving birth or receiving care. Um, So what difference does having a spouse, a family member or a friend with you impact your outcomes in the hospital? 
Um, it's actually huge. So I know, um, and I, I might be putting a lot of healthcare workers on blast here, but I mean, if you've ever been on TikTok, you, they call themselves out, but a lot of times nurses get so annoyed with family at the bedside, but the reality is the research shows that having a support person, a family member, a friend, or in the case of labor, um, it could be a doula, um, can lead to better communication between patients and their healthcare providers. Um, it can lead to increased patient satisfaction and uh, overall improved health outcomes. There are so many studies that back this up and support this. I mean, the evidence is just um, huge. So um, what is, how, how does having family or a support person there affect like affect your outcome. Well, it basically helps patients ensure that they know their treatment options and ask questions. Sometimes your support person is going to ask a question that you didn't think to ask mm -hmm. um, or, or express a concern that you didn't think of because you're being kind of bombarded with a lot of information. So everyone's processing it differently and that just allows you to make more informed healthcare decisions. And um, when you're a part of your team, right, like when it's not just the doctor and the nurse speaking at you, but you are all working together as a team, you can come up with a plan that you all agree on. And then guess what? If you've agreed on it and you've helped create it, you're more likely to adhere to it. Um, so just adhering to a treatment plan improves outcomes, right? And then, you know, it just, the basics, you feel safer, less anxiety, stress and isolation when you have somebody with you at the bedside when you're hospitalized. So just having that emotional support and comfort can, is, is scientifically proven to reduce pain and improve overall well-being. I'm really surprised by like the number of layers that there are in that answer, though they all make complete and total sense. And even just like you were saying about the treatment plans and adhering to that, I know like a little accountability can go a long way. So if your family <laughs> members knows what medicines you're supposed to be doing or your physical therapy exercises or how much sleep or water, like a little encouragement with that probably helping to stick to it can go a long way. Exactly. And I know for me, when I, um, you know, if I'm admitting somebody for an induction or if they're in labor and, you know, we're going through all the initial education and we, we talk about like, Oh, here's our postpartum depression screener. Well, if the, if the partner's there or, you know, caregiver, whoever's with the birthing person, I love to tell them, and guess what? You have a role in this too, because if you start to notice X, Y, and Z symptoms, you can pick up the phone and call this person's obstetrician or, or whoever and ask for an appointment or just say that you have concerns and have them seen by a healthcare professional because they likely don't have the bandwidth to do that. So including them in the, in the care plan as well is, is so important. I think especially because oftentimes like people outside of ourselves may notice things 
that we don't always notice, like when we're going, when we're in the throes of whatever the concern is. And like, again, like I've never given birth, but have lots of friends who have. And so with that postpartum concern, yeah, like when you're saying like when you're in the thick of it, you may not always see or be able to articulate, but someone on the outside could. And like what a difference that could make in helping, you know, you get the help you need. Absolutely. I know another intersection of giving birth is that birthing parents of color experience higher death rates than white parents. So knowing this, are there different questions that you ask or ways that you strive to show up for your patients to help ensure better outcomes for them as parents and then for their children as well? Yeah, this is a great question. So the answer is complicated. Yes and no. I say that because we know that outcomes for birthing people of color are worse. What we also know is that race is not a risk factor. Mm. And what I mean by that is that it's not, there is nothing physiologically different a person of color that would need to be addressed. It's racism that is the risk factor. Yes. So, no, I I wouldn't say I ask a birthing person of color different questions because from a healthcare perspective, that wouldn't um, make sense. But do I show up for them differently? Absolutely. How do I do that? Um, it's pretty nuanced. It's... Um, addressing a provider who might be practicing race-based medicine or um, interjecting when, you know, there's a commentary at the nurse's station about um, people of color that could be harmful to their health. And this isn't even always um, an outwardly mean thing. A great example I have is that we have um, in obstetric or neonatal nursing, there's this really um, popular kind of train of thought with um, preterm babies who are born that like you'll always hear NICU nurses saying, oh, I hope it's a, um, I hope it's a little black girl because they're the strongest Babies most likely to survive if they're born early versus, and this is the term that is often used as wimpy white boys. They have the worst outcomes in the NICU. So we think that's really cute, right? Like we have this image of like a really strong black girl and, and like a wimpy white boy. We, we think that is not harmful, but the reality is I read an article recently that when we think like that, sometimes we don't provide the same care and not from a um, place of intentional harm, but we're like, oh, she's got this. She's a, she's a strong black girl. So, you know, we don't have to work as hard because she's so strong and she's got this. She doesn't always got this and she needs the same care you're going to give a wimpy white boy, right? So even things that we don't think are harmful can be harmful and just calling that out and not in a, in a way that is, I like to do in a way that's productive. 
So that's how I show up for my patients of color is just is being there in a way that ensures they get the care, the same care that their white counterparts or just the standard of care, the, the care that everybody should be getting. Yeah. And I really appreciate how you frame that as like it being productive because the decisions that you and other medical folks are making, you know, those have immediate consequences, you know, whether or not you decide to give a particular medicine or a different additional like pain support or something like that. Like it's not theoretical, like the work that you are doing has immediate I Yeah. And I like consequences is the only word I can really think of, maybe like immediate impact. And so, yeah, being intentional about that um, is so important. Especially in obstetrics, because we are putting our hands inside of the most intimate parts of human beings. And sometimes I think the impact of that is lost on a very hurried, busied profession that has a job to do. And is very overwhelmed and overworked. So, you know, simple things like asking for consent before doing a vaginal exam or, um, you know, just taking the time to explain things to people. It's just showing up for your patients like that and, and making sure after the provider leaves the room, if they have any lingering questions or concerns, making sure those get addressed. And sometimes Patients don't feel comfortable saying that to their doctor or provider. So again, going to bat for them and going back out and having those hard conversations, it's it's really important. And I like that you talked about pain control because, you know, there's also this history of medicine is very racist, especially in this country. And there is this long held belief, even still today in the year 2023, that Black people feel pain differently than white people. And it's just simply not true. Mm -hmm. So making sure that anybody who wants pain relief and labor gets it is so important. But also honoring those who don't and allowing them the space to manage their pain however they choose. So it's really uncomfortable sometimes for us as nurses to see a patient being very vocal about their pain, but rejecting, you know, epidural anesthesia. I think sometimes that annoys nursing staff, but being mindful that, you know, if, if that's their choice, we need to respect that. And just because it makes somebody uncomfortable to watch it, it, it doesn't matter. You just have to show up for people how they need you to show up for them. Yeah. Like growing your own patient's and comfort level. And I'm sure like there's cultural layers to that as well of like how you can make space for that. Um, Even just thinking about like if you had international patients, like people who grew up in different types of cultures who, you know, maybe vocalize differently or yeah, I'm sure you could see it all in a birthing room. Absolutely. And um, there's so much like birth is so cultural right? And so um, there's so many layers, just like, what do you do with your placenta? How do you manage your pain or your pain? How do you feed your baby? And it's somehow become so sensationalized and people are so opinionated and really just a little 
cultural sensitivity goes a long way in this field. It's necessary. Yeah, I believe it. Well, for our last question here together, we are going to shift from um, the wisdom that you've shared with us about questions and nursing and then turn to the Bible. And I wonder if there's a particular verse or passage that really grounds you and inspires you in your nursing work. I love Psalm 139, which is and this is for my specialty, labor and delivery, but for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's room. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love this one because I have to remind myself sometimes that when I'm going against the grain with providers or advocating for patients or I seem like I'm being that annoying nurse calling the provider for the hundredth time this shift, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that, you know, this is why I chose this profession to advocate for my patients, but also that each, you know, tiny human that is born is fearfully and wonderfully made. So is the person that is bringing them here. And I have just the utmost respect for people who bring tiny humans into this world. It they are fearfully and wonderfully made strong, strong human beings. So I love that psalm. Amen. And that's such a beautiful note to end on, to remind ourselves of each of our belovedness and also the belovedness of the people that we encounter out in the world for, for those for whom we may not always have the most patience. Um, remembering that or or digging into that deep well of God's love for all of us when we're just really tired. That's such an important reminder. Well, thank you, Laura, so much for taking the time to be with us, for sharing about your expertise of nursing, and I think encouraging us for whether we are the patient or the caregiver in whatever medical situation we find ourselves in next, that we are ready to both answer and ask the questions we need. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colleen. And to anybody listening, I encourage you, please, please, please always speak up, always ask questions. Even if they don't seem welcome, do they matter? You matter, your questions matter. And getting good care is important. So please ask those questions. Amen. Prayer for Nurses. Healing God, you tend to people who are sick and suffering wherever they are. Each and every day, you work through nurses to care for those in need. Strengthen all nurses in their daily efforts. Bless their minds and bodies as they ask questions, listen deeply, and provide care. When their shifts are over, grant them peaceful rest and joyful time with their family and friends. 
inspire the work of those who study the impacts of nursing, that their questions may lead to better care for all your people, wherever, whoever, and however they are. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experience God's love for you and the world in today's episode. I've got two really exciting pieces of news to share with you all. First is that All Places Together is hiring. That's right, we are hiring. APT has been selected to be a remote site for a new program of our denomination, the ELCA Young Adult Vocational Fellows. We are looking for a content and community fellow to work remotely for the 2023-24 school year. This young adult will work on creating content for APT as well as our outreach ministry, Mother Hen. They will also work on building community with all the various folks that connect to APT in different ways, including you, our dear podcast listeners. If you know someone who might be interested, please send them over to our website to learn more or feel free to put them in contact with me. I do ask that you keep this process in your prayers. This is a new program for the ELCA overall, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. And I am just praying daily for the Spirit's guidance. So I invite you to join me in those prayers. Second, we also heard this week that All Places Together was awarded a mission grant from the Deaconess community of the ELCA. These funds will help create and build out our very own private network. So I want to say a special thank you to the Deaconess community for your partnership in the gospel. I'm so thankful and excited about the impact that this grant will have in the life of our community. And as always, thank you to all of our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is so important. Thank you to all of the individuals who give financially to empower the ongoing work of All Places Together. If you would like to give a gift of support, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give Here. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. If you need help figuring out a different type of gift, how to mail a check, or even share a stock gift, feel free to email me at allplacestogether at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-C-E-S-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R at gmail.com. Until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.